Welcome to another installment of Christmas in Quarantine. It's Christmas Past's impromptu miniseries of indeterminate length, and it's all about spreading just a little bit of extra Christmas cheer as we navigate these uncertain times with the COVID-19 crisis. So, first of all, I hope you're staying safe and healthy. I hope that you're practicing all of the common sense guidelines and taking your advice only from trained medical professionals. And second of all, a little programming note. If you follow me on any of my social media, you may have seen my announcement about this a few days ago. Christmas in Quarantine began back in March when the state of California, where I live, went on statewide shelter-in-place. At the time, it was looking like the quarantine would last about a month, give or take, and my plan was to release one new episode every day. Now, here we are nearing the end of April, and it's still very uncertain when things will get back to normal, or whatever the new normal is going to be. Long story short, daily episodes just aren't sustainable indefinitely, at least not the kind that I've been putting out. So what that means is that, at least for now, Christmas in quarantine is still very much here, but just not daily. Probably more like weekly, though if I can do more, I will. And here we are today with an all-new episode. If you're like me, you're getting a lot of reading done nowadays. My home is full of books to begin with, and I was lucky enough to have borrowed a bunch from my local library just before everything closed down. Of course, there's always something Christmassy on my reading list, so I reached out to Carrie Mercer, host of the Christmas Book Review podcast, to come on and talk about Christmas stories in general and some of her faves in particular. If you haven't subscribed to Christmas Book Review, there's no better time than now. Check out the show notes for a link. And as a matter of fact, Carrie wants to encourage you to read more Christmas books, so she's holding a drawing to give away the novel Marley by John Clinch, which she reviewed in episode 14 of her podcast. And you may recall that I had John Clinch right here on Christmas Past last month. So I can personally attest that Marley is absolutely a book worth having on your shelf and curling up with any time of year. All you have to do is email her at christmasbookreview at gmail.com and say that you'd like to enter the drawing. Obviously, she'd like you to listen to her podcast too, but this is a totally free giveaway. She'll announce the winner of the drawing in her May episode. Now, Carrie and I discuss a lot of stories in this episode, and you'll find links to all of them in the show note. And thanks to Carrie for providing them. I'll be back at the end to wrap up and say goodbye. For now, get yourself cozy and turn on your book light and enjoy this chat with Carrie Mercer from Christmas Book Review. Now, Carrie, nowadays, a lot of us are spending a lot more time at home, and that means a lot more reading if you are the kind of person who has a literary bent, as I know you do. Tell me, what is it about reading Christmas stories in particular, and especially all throughout the year, that you find to be attractive? Um, I think one of the things I really like about Christmas books is that feeling of renewal that you get from the story. Um, Because it's something that repeats every year, and it's something meaningful to people, however they celebrate it. There's usually some kind of renewal in the story, and I really like that aspect of it. And renewal can come in a bunch of different forms. Um, One of the most common patterns that we see nowadays is that a Christmas story is a romance story, specifically a new romance blossoming during the Christmas season. And, you know, there is a sense of renewal in that uh, because it's often the case that the lead character is a woman who is either getting back into the relationship game or, or the relationship is coming under serendipitous conditions. And so there is this sense of getting one's spirit back or one's groove back. And 
that's one of the more common things that we see in Christmas stories. And what what I notice when I read modern ones versus older ones is that I think we're a little more slanted toward things like romances or somebody losing and then regaining their Christmas spirit. Whereas way back in the day, Christmas stories could be ghost stories. Yeah. They could be horror stories. They could be Pretty much any kind of story could have a Christmas layer put over it, whereas nowadays we tend to gravitate towards, you know, just like one or two different kinds of stories. And for children, it's really just, one, you know, uh, someone has to save Christmas because Christmas is under threat or someone needs to find the Christmas spirit. But I'm sure you've read lots and lots of Christmas books. So what are some of the other angles that a, a good Christmas story can and should have? Um, well, then there's all the retelling. You know, um, I I really love the different slants on old stories. Like you just talked to John Clinch about his new book. Um, what is it? Marley? Mm, great book. Yeah. So I'm always interested in getting um, characters that we're familiar with and getting some new twist on their backstory. So that's a really fun trend I see. Yeah, and it's not just Marley. There has been, and and Marley isn't the only example of retelling a Christmas Carol. That's probably mm-hmm. the one that's been done the most. Um, yeah, which is interesting because it also, on the surface, would seem that there is the least that you can actually do with it, uh, <laughs> or do with it in, in a way well, that that feels fresh and compelling. Well, I think because we don't know much about Marley except that he's dead. <laughs> And he was Scrooge's business partner. That kind of leaves it wide open. So it's like the less we know about a character, the more there is to do with it. And when I was talking to Clinch, the what I one of the comments I made early on in the interview is mm-hmm. we know a lot about Marley without knowing much about Marley, or maybe the other way around, meaning that there are some <laughs> facts that are thrown out there, but they are given yeah. no context at all. And these are right. the things that you don't pick up if you know the story mostly from uh, retellings or from movie versions. But in the novella, we know that mm-hmm. Scrooge lives in Marley's apartment, but we don't know why. Yeah. That's just mentioned yeah. and forgotten. We know that he right. died on Christmas Eve. We know that they were in business, but we don't really know what kind of business they were doing. And we know that they seem to have a contentious relationship uh, where, you know, Marley comes to Scrooge, at least in theory, to help him out. But there also, you notice some tension between them where he says, you've always been a good friend to me, Marley, uh, or good friend to me, Jacob. But it it almost seems to have been written in invisible italics where you get the sense that there's some history there, too. And what I really loved about Clinch, in addition to just the the language, I think he's a phenomenal writer, is how much story he was able to eke out of just those three or four basic (laughs) bullet points to create something fully realized and totally compelling in its own right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I'm reading another one that's called Marley's Ghost. That's, oh, I think it was written in the nineties. I can't remember for sure. I'm not quite done with it. But yeah, it, it does seem like he's got darkness in his character the way Scrooge does, but you don't know why. So there's a lot you can do with that. I really like that. And another one that I I just finished was it's called Meg and Joe and it's a retelling of little women in a contemporary setting. And that's always a Christmas favorite. 
Recently, I've been doing these episodes um, for the, during quarantine. I've been reading a bunch of old classic Christmas stories. And one that came by special request from a bunch of people was the story of the goblins who stole a sexton. This is another Dickens story from the Pickwick Papers. It's a short story about a, a grave digger who is not a nice guy, very much like Scrooge. You know, the first few passages of the story, all we're just seeing is how he's miserable. He doesn't like people, whatever. Uh, and then and he's a heavy drinker, too. And then one night on Christmas Eve, these goblins come from the underworld and they kidnap him, bring him down to the underworld and just make him watch a bunch of stuff uh, to basically show him what a miserable guy he is. And then he comes back to the real world, uh, a changed man. And then, you know, we leave the story saying, OK, and the, apparently he went off and just became someone different. That seems to be one of the things that happens in Victorian stories is this idea of someone who just really needs to see the error of their ways and become changed. And it all happens through the vehicle of Christmas and the Christmas spirit. Um, but what, what intrigues me is why it is that we don't see as many monsters or otherworldly kind of Christmas stories. And it also strikes me as interesting that we saw so many of them during the Victorian period because they were a very technologically advanced society. And yet at the same time, really very superstitious. The spiritualist, the spiritualist movement came around that time where people like Arthur Conan Doyle, you know, were uh, devotees of that, actually believing it was possible to communicate with the other world. Uh, a really interesting time and some really interesting stuff came out of it. And one might argue, and I'm sure you'd find uh, you wouldn't get a lot of argument for this point, that we're also living in interesting times now. Um, and yet I, I feel like we keep coming back to the same kinds of Christmas stories again and again. Um, of the stories that you've read in, you know, this year or years prior, are there, are there kinds of things that you think maybe we're, we're missing in the world of, of contemporary Christmas literature? Well, I'd really like to see more young adult stories, maybe because I love young adult stories anyway, because they often have that same kind of transformation, although it's, you know, from being a kid to an adult. Um, but I don't see that many young adult novels that are Christmas themed, that aren't romance, I should say, because it does seem like romance has taken over <laughs> so many of the uh, Christmas stories. In fact, that one I mentioned, Meg and Joe, um, that I just finished, I found out was written by a romance writer. Because uh, I thought, oh, I really like this. I want to look up what else she's written. And um, everything else I could find was romances with hunky guys on the cover that were shirtless. So I was a little disappointed because, <laughs> I don't know, I'm I'm not a super big romance fan. Um, I can only take so much of the Hallmark movies, you know. <laughs> but I do, I like the horror movies. Um, I mean, the horror stories, I should say, that involve Christmas somehow. Um, but I noticed that they're not as serious as the Victorian ghost stories. The contemporary stuff often has this kind of humorous bent. Um, like one of the books I reviewed early last year was a book of short stories called Some Take Off on Hark the Herald Angels Sing, but it's... Um, all horror stories and they're contemporary and they always kind of, kind of have this tongue in cheek, like, ah, gotcha. 
<laughs> hmm. And it's the same with a lot of the Christmas mysteries, which almost inevitably are what we'd describe as a, a cozy mystery, meaning yeah. it's usually a, a, a woman as the yep. amateur sleuth. There's usually a cat and there's usually some kind of romance <laughs> involved, too. I yeah. forget the woman's name, Donna something or other, who has a series called like Duck the Halls. Yes, um, she always has birds the in the title. Yeah, yes, Donna Andrews. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> And yep. I've read a couple of those, but I found that the mysteries themselves are, are really um, almost the, the sort of like Agatha Christie, Miss Marple style, except yeah. that Christmas is going on in the background. Yeah, they're almost secondary to the Christmas festivities that are going on in the small town that she lives in. Now, that's an interesting thing about th that, in that I know that a Hallmark movie, I've actually spoken to a couple of screenwriters, and there is a, a rule um, that every scene in a Hallmark movie must have Christmas in it. Like Christmas is central to the story. And I think that's really a big part of what we expect from a Christmas story, that it's not happening in the background. And that's something that I've noticed about a lot of, especially the older stories, like The Goblins Who Stole a Sexton, where it's just sort of like, yeah, it's Christmas, you know, to sort of explain why there's snow on the ground and why this was the right time for that character to transform. There was another story I wrote, I read um, on the podcast several months ago. It might have even been before last Christmas uh, called A Strange Christmas Game. And this was about this brother and sister who had rented a house in the English countryside where a, a duel had taken place, where someone died years and years ago. And it just happens to happen on Christmas Eve. But we're seeing this where they, they notice the they see the ghosts come to life in the in the game room and they follow them out as they basically witness the crime happen. And and that's a Christmas story. Um, there are other ones like it too. I read another one recently called As the Automobile Ran Down. And the whole premise of the story is this man wants to go to a Christmas dinner party because he wants to profess his love to this young lady, but he takes a cab and the cab, the brakes don't work and they can't stop. So they just keep circling the block. Um, and, you know, there's nothing about it that feels Christmassy. Uh, and, and even I would say, well, no, I suppose um, a, a Christmas carol, there's a lot of Christmas in it, but, but not in, in the same way. Not in the same way that we feel like, you know, you can almost hear the bells jingling in the background. So to your mind, are the best Christmas stories ones that really Christmas is dominant or that it's maybe more in the background or, or how does that how does that work? I don't know. I kind of like the ones that are that weave it into the story, you know, that don't have it as just a background thing. Um, and, you know, there's often more variety in the children's picture books because they can do so much with the illustrations maybe like I just read this one about a family um the father is a tugboat captain and he gets the honor of going to pick up the Christmas tree that's going to be in Rockefeller Center so he's gonna like pull the barge from wherever they pick it up and bring it into New York Harbor and so he decides um, this would be a really fun thing to do with his family. So instead of his crew, his usual crew, he has his wife and his daughter go with him. And, you know, it's a tugboat. It goes like 11 miles an hour. So it's this sort of slow, ponderous journey that takes two days. And it's just this really wonderful, quiet time with this family. And, 
the tree, of course, is beautiful, and um, they get to see it in early dawn light with dew on it, and it looks like millions of sparkly lights. But it's, you know, just for them, because it's just the three of them on this little tugboat. And then they pull into the harbor, and there's a big tourist boat full of cheering school children. And it's a totally different experience of Christmas than I've ever had. And yet it was really fun um, to learn about the tugboat and how they get the tree to Rockefeller Center. And yeah, so I, I thought, hey, this is a really neat Christmas story that probably most people don't know anything about. It's probably one of the few great pleasures of, of reading is uh, the idea of discovering something that has been there all along, right? Especially a classic Christmas stories where I've been doing a lot of those recently. And I realized these have been here for, you know, decades and centuries in some cases. And the the feeling of of discovery, you know, you almost feel like you're uncovering a secret and the feeling of serendipity. It's almost like because to try something out that you're, you weren't familiar with or wasn't recommended to you, it almost feels like going on a blind date in some ways. And that, you know, you know pretty quickly whether it's working and whether it's not and whether you'd like a second date to, to torture the metaphor. Uh, <laughs> But yeah. there was a couple that I've read recently. Uh, one of them was the last one that I did on the show. And I, it has this long 19th century title, like being a story for the betterment of, of young persons or something like that. And oh, it, again, is one of these stories where it's about a family in the English countryside and two boys are coming home from school to meet with their family. And the, the two sisters, I guess, are too young to go to school, so they live at home. And in the course of all this, they're doing a lot of Christmassy stuff. You know, the family's walking around. They want to go ice skating. But then there's also things that kind of reflect maybe the way that country life or farm life was back then, where there's this one scene where um, a dog comes and jumps on the ice and falls in and dies. And oh, then, no. And then they just sort of treat it as just, oh, bummer. Uh, you know, and then they, they go on with the rest <laughs> of the story. It's just sort of mentioned, and I, I don't know if it was meant to be uh, happened that way because that was just a common thing that happened back then, or oh if the writer gosh. was just maybe he <laughs> didn't give it the import that it deserved. <laughs> yeah. But it is interesting, those kinds of things that will happen in Christmas stories or just the things that over time we consider make for a good Christmas story. Yeah. Well, and then you've got the trend of all the um, cozy mysteries that have recipes in them, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think Joanna Fluke started that right. uh, a long time ago. Yeah. Which, I don't know, maybe before the days of the internet, that would have been um, a real gimmick that drew people in. I, I really um, – well, I think the the Joanna Fluke ones were about a baker, right, or someone who worked in a bakery. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, just a quick aside. I yeah. remember this is how I, I often discover new books is I'll buy something at, you know, a thrift store or go to the library. Mm -hmm. And usually, um, especially for nonfiction books, it's usually has to do with mm -hmm. the Dewey Decimal System. It's like I'll be looking for one kind of book and then it just so happens to be yeah. positioned next to another kind of book because of the, the um, taxonomy, the taxonomy of the Dewey Decimal System. 
and I'll just discover other topics like that. Um, but one, I was in a library in Boston where I used to live. This was the Jamaica Plain Library, not the main branch, but one of the satellite branches. And I found the, the first Joanna Fluke book I ever read. And it was really because I didn't know what else to read. It was called A Blueberry Muffin Murder, not a Christmas story, uh, and not a very good one either. I, but it was the... The first such story that I read that had the recipes in it, and I was thinking, oh, you know, if there was like a Christmas equivalent of this with like a, a good old-fashioned fruitcake recipe, and then that, that might be something. Yeah, and a lot of those uh, now have craft uh, recipes or instructions or patterns in them as well now, too. That's interesting. And they've got the puns. I always love the puns in the title. <laughs> what would be a good example of that? Oh, well, I think it was um, Donna Andrews that has Lark, the Herald Angels thing, instead of Hark, oh, she yeah. does Lark. Yep. And you mentioned Duck, something about Duck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she always works puns into her titles with the birds. So those are fun. Now, one thing I noticed we don't have a lot of are sci-fi Christmas stories. And on the surface, you would say, well, well that makes perfect sense. Um, you know, that Christmas seems very earthly kind of thing. But, you know, there have been. There's been Santa Claus versus the Martians. Uh, we recently on the show um, covered the He-Man and She-Ra Christmas special, oh, which takes place right. on another yes. planet. Now, of course, I've these aren't books. I've never seen that, but it's, yeah. Yeah, but that sounded fun. They're it's not like books, you... but they are sci-fi. And so, uh, you know, mm -hmm. it seems to me that's this sort of thing could be possible. Have, have you come across any sci-fi Christmas stories? Yes, definitely. But not novels. They're all short stories. So I don't know. Maybe it's too hard to sustain the intersection of sci-fi and Christmas for a whole novel. Or maybe it's not something publishers think will sell. I don't know. But I love the short story collections. Yeah, I can... Um, and then there's... Um, I don't know if you would call it sci-fi, maybe more magical realism, like Jeanette Winterson, her collection of Christmas stories. I think it's called, called 12 Days and 12 Stories for Christmas. Um, that was one that I reviewed. And and that's got fairies and little, not pixies, but like brownies and all kinds of little creatures like that. And, and like I said, magical realism. I think maybe that lends itself more to Christmas because of the ghost angle, you know. And even with uh, sci-fi, you know, it doesn't even have to be something that happens in space or on another planet or or even in the future. It, it could seriously be just some basic concept about how time works or technology or, or something like that. Uh, I, I really think there is potential, but you brought up a good point that I feel like a lot of what we are exposed to nowadays from publishers is really a matter of what they think is going to sell. And it comes back to that idea that in novels, I've noticed that it's really, especially ones for adults, it is romances, mysteries, or ones that have a spiritual angle. I forget the name of the man. It's a, it is a man who writes a series of books that are all about, you know, like angels and spirituality, mostly with a, a heavily, you know, Christian focus, which makes perfect sense uh, given that we're talking about Christmas. But there's that too, right? Because that caters to a certain audience as well. Uh, I personally, that's not, you know, my cup of tea, but I, I do know that it's pretty popular. Yeah, I haven't read any of those, but I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, talking about the what publishers think will sell, it seems like it's a popular thing to come out with story collections at Christmas time. So I find those a lot easier than I do novels 
that somehow have Christmas in them. And I wish like, you know, as far as how I find my books, um, it's really random sometimes because I can't, I've tried going to like a publisher's website and unfortunately there's not a, a grouping of our Christmas books that we're bringing out this year, you know, whereas they'll have romance, sci-fi, mystery, children's, they have all those different genre divisions, but they don't have seasonal, I guess. So it makes them kind of harder to track down. I don't know if, if you've uh, noticed that, but you're looking at stuff that's in the past. So maybe that's easier. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand what you mean about how certain publishers, there isn't necessarily they're calling out their Christmas stories for that publishing season. Um, and I think I'd probably have to agree with you that the short story, I feel like, is, or, or a story collection is is a little more satisfying, especially because, you know, people like you and I probably read Christmas novels outside of the season, whereas not everybody does. Most of them are trying to get in their their novel, you know, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And given how hectic things are, most people, you might get through one, maybe two, right, depending on how quickly you read. And so you don't really have that much variety through your Christmas season, whereas with a short story collection, um, you do. And there's one that I'm thinking of that I read recently called A Literary Christmas. Oh, yeah. And this had... And so there was um, one of my favorite Christmas stories of all is Paul Auster's Augie Wren's Christmas Story, oh, which was yeah. made into a movie with Harvey Keitel. Did, have you seen that? It's, I think it was called Smoke. I haven't seen. No, I haven't seen the movie. I didn't know there was a movie, but I I vaguely remember the story. Yeah, William Hurt, <laughs> I believe, uh, and Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel is the guy is Augie, and William Hurt is the I think it was William Hurt is the the narrator of the story. Um, and just just a great story, right? It was a it's a story about a writer looking for a story. So he takes the cigar store owner out to lunch, and the cigar store owner tells this story about how he what was it? He he lost he found a lost object and returned it to the person's house, and the person who answers the door is this old woman who's blind and says, "Oh, is you know." Is that you? She thinks it's a family member. And he realizes that this woman is alone on Christmas. So he thinks his good deed for Christmas would be to pretend to be that person and keep the woman company for a little while. And then and that's the story that he relates to the narrator. And then at the end, there's some sort of twist where you you kind of wonder whether or not he made the story up. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember that one. But there are a lot of great stories in that collection. Yeah. Isn't there another one about an elevator operator that is complaining about, you know, having to work on Christmas and he, and he works in this really posh building and all these people are giving him food because they think, oh, poor guy, you know, he has to work on Christmas. And so he ends up having this feast because all of these people feel sorry for him and keep giving him food. From their Christmas dinner. I don't remember that one. I can't remember what it's that called, but I know I've seen it in several different collections, and it's it's kind of funny, and it it fits in that sort of quirky literary genre. Yeah, you know, that's it's not quite what you'd expect at Christmas. It's not sappy. It's not a romance. Yeah, and there are some, uh, and this is, I feel like in short stories is where you do get that variety that's missing from novels because the other one, it was a very long short story in this collection, was by Patricia Highsmith, who um, 
she wrote the the talented Mr. Ripley, which was made into a movie with Matt Damon, et cetera. And, you know, that was just a pretty noirish kind of Christmas story. There was, oh, there was another one that was all about the Lawrence Welk show, which really uh, brought back a lot of memories for me. I remember when I was growing up in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, the Lawrence Welk show, it was never really popular, but it was the must have been one of our local stations just, you know, had it on in syndication. And no one in my family could understand why I liked that show so much. Uh, I remember one time my aunt was babysitting. I was like, oh, I want to watch Lawrence Welk. And she just looked at me like, you you do? I think she got the sense that maybe my parents watched it and I was just accustomed to. She couldn't understand for the life of her why a child would want to watch the Lawrence Welk show. But it was... Right. I don't know either. That was like one of the few things that my evil grandmother would let us watch when we came over. She was mm-hmm. a Southern Baptist and super, super religious. And that was the only thing she would let us watch on TV was the Lawrence Welk show. <laughs> so I don't have fond memories. I don't remember seeing a Christmas special. I know you guys talked about a, about that on the episode where you reviewed the Dean Martin Christmas show. <laughs> and so I'm very curious to hear about the Lawrence Welk Christmas show. I'm, I'm sure it's interesting. <laughs> maybe maybe it doesn't have, okay, maybe it doesn't have the sexist jokes or at least not as many. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a pretty clean cut show. Um, yeah. But, you know, when you're a kid, it's just, and especially it had that 1960s Technicolor look. So, and everyone had these really bright costumes and it was, you know, the 70s or yes. 60s with, the, you know, the big collars and the big hair. I mean, yeah. maybe as a kid, it, it was almost as much of a spectacle as Sesame Street. It, like, honestly, <laughs> you know, just like the bright colors and characters and they're all singing and dancing. I mean, it's oh not gosh. much of a stretch to see how the two relate or, you know, at least how, how a child would sort of see them as almost being, you know, just different ends of the same spectrum. So maybe that was it. Yeah. But there was a story in that literary collection. It was about um, a family where the father w- w- was a stepfather. And he, when he came into the family, he just sort of, you know, would insist that everyone watch the Lawrence Welk show with him. Uh, and if I recall, the story was that his daughter from a previous marriage comes to Christmas dinner with a boyfriend that no one approves of. And then it's all about just dealing with that. So it's not it's not a very, you know, Christmassy feeling story, except that it happens on Christmas. And most of the characterization that we hear of the stepfather is through his love of Lawrence Welk. You know, it's just like a big part of his personality. Okay. Um, <laughs> Oftentimes, a short story done well can leave much more of a lasting impression than, you know, some series mystery where, you know, it kind of seems like the same one that, you know, from the the previous story in the the series. Okay, so speaking of which, on your show, you recommend stories and you recommend, um, and I'm I'm using the word story because, like I said, some of them are are children's books, some of them are full novels, some of them would be short story collections. and some are or even just picture books. You know, you really run the gamut of anyone who's looking for a book that has to do with Christmas. So how about we just go through, um, we'll start at the beginning, and, and maybe you could recommend a good children's story. Well, I think one of my favorites that was published just in the last few years, I think it was published last year, was it's called Red and Lulu. And it's about two cardinals, birds, and how they live in this huge pine tree that gets taken away and it gets taken away from the house where um, they were living uh, while one of the birds is gone you know one of the birds is out getting food or whatever and 
she comes back and she is like, oh my gosh, where's the tree? And then she sees it on a truck and it's driving away. And so she's trying to keep up, you know, flying, trying to keep up with the tree and her mate. And it just gets away from her. She can't keep up. Well, she flies, you know, the direction where she flies after it and she's flying around the city. And it turns out that it was the Rockefeller Plaza tree. It was a big, huge one. So they took it for the plaza and she finds her mate. And so they're happy. You know, they have Christmas in their tree. Now I'm explaining all this, but really it's mostly wordless. (laughs) And that's what's so great about it. It has beautiful illustrations. And so the story of them sort of losing each other and finding each other again at Christmas is, is really fun and I don't know. It's meaningful. It's really beautiful. So I like that one. Um, what next? Young adult, maybe? Um, there's not, like I mentioned before, there's not too many young adult ones, but there is a really good one that I read called Holly Chase or The Adventures of Holly Chase, something like that. It's got Holly Chase in the title. And she, it starts with her dying. So not so good. And then she ends up working after she's died. She gets assigned to this um, this group. So this is sort of science fictiony, magical realism. I'm not sure where you would where you would classify it, but she gets assigned to this group that is basically like the "It's a Wonderful Life" story, where they find someone, or even Scrooge. Maybe it's more like Scrooge, where they find someone who's you know almost irredeemable but they they need to change their ways um by christmas eve and so they sort of set up this whole production like the truman show or something (laughs) so that they make these things happen that will hopefully change this person's ways um so that they become a better person and and it happens at christmas and there's a twist and there's a, a love story and it, it was just very imaginative. Um, the way the author kind of worked in all these different elements of different Christmas stories that we know and did something different with it. What I should say for anyone listening is that uh, check if your library has Libby or Overdrive. Uh, I think most libraries have upgraded to Libby now. And what that is is an app that you can put on your phone and borrow ebooks and audiobooks. I'm always surprised to find out how few people are aware of it. It is your tax dollars at work, and it is a wonderful service uh, for listening to lots and lots of audiobooks. And there are not as many Christmas books as I would like to see, but there are plenty of good Christmas audio audiobooks with a good narrator. Uh, and even for children, there's one that my library has called Santasaurus. I don't know if you've uh, read that story. Santa the Santasaurus. Saurus. I've seen it, but I have not, I have not read it. It's for kids, but that didn't stop me from listening <laughs> <Yeah>. to it. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, actually, I use Overdrive a lot, especially lately since I'm spending lots of hours sewing. I love listening to audiobooks. And so I definitely, my tax dollars are, are well used as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so we had a children's story, a young adult story. How about now an adult story? Um, I think, boy, it's tough because I've read, I think um, that one that you interviewed 
the author for John Clinch is Marley. That was a really good one, I thought. And then I also read Mr. Dickens and His Carol just recently, and I loved that one. It's about Charles Dickens and how he wrote the Christmas Carol story. And it's fictional. It's not nonfiction. So it's someone's idea of how this came about. And there are, of course, some things in there that are that are true um, about, you know, the time of year that he wrote it and how long it took him and how his um, his family was counting on him because they were in debt at the time. Um, he was in a great deal of debt because his latest novel was not doing well. I think it was Martin Chuzzlewit, um, which I've never read that one, but, um, and it's super fun because it, it makes Dickens just a wonderful character in himself. And, and I guess that was pretty much based on truth that the author has him like walking around the city and, and everybody knows him. And I guess this was true that he was known for his walks around London and, you know, people would just greet him by name because they knew him. And it's just a really bright, cheery story. So I really enjoyed that one. And then there's, you know, there's lots of um, short story collections too. Like we were talking about um, Connie Willis has a great short story collection and she's a sci-fi writer. So that's, that is one science fiction one, but those, you know, that's a collection of all her stories. I think it's got a few new stories and then the rest of them are from previous years. But there's a really funny one in there about these aliens that come to visit and everyone's trying to figure out how to communicate with them. And the scientists um, are (laughs) sort of portrayed as these uh, bumbling, arrogant people who think they know everything and they're really screwing it up and the aliens are not talking to them and it looks like they're getting ready to leave. And so it turns out, I won't ruin the ending, but it does hinge on a choral director and what she figures out about some Christmas carols and a way to communicate with them through Christmas carols. And so for everybody listening, if you look in the show notes for this episode, there will be links to all of the books that Carrie mentioned in this episode. And yeah, with that, I think we'll say Carrie Mercer, host of the Christmas Book Review Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. It was a great fun. Hey, thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed that. Now, don't forget to get in touch with Carrie at christmasbookreview at gmail.com and let her know that you'd like to enter the drawing for the copy of Marley by John Clinch. And I'm curious to know what you're reading these days, whether it's Christmassy or not. So why don't you drop me a line at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com or reach out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you haven't joined the Christmas Past private Facebook group yet, why not? We celebrate all year round and I'd love to welcome you aboard. I would also love to send you an official Christmas Past sticker, and they're really easy to get. All you have to do is leave a review for this show on Apple Podcasts and then get in touch with me with your address. Leaving a review makes this show more visible to people searching for Christmas content, so it's kind of like spreading Christmas cheer. And speaking of which, I really do hope that you've been able to keep your spirits up during these uncertain times. If you have any advice for the rest of the Christmas Past family, how about recording a voice memo into your phone and sending it to christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com? I'd be happy to include it in an upcoming episode. 
We'll meet again soon, and until then, let me remind you as always that Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California by yours truly, Brian Earle. Thanks again to Carrie Mercer from the Christmas Book Review, and as always, thank you for listening. Until we meet again, stay safe and healthy, look out for one another, and may your days be merry and bright.